Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Wednesday, March 1st, 2023. It's been 3,290 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 371 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain that the Russian Federation Armed Forces are combat ineffective and are only capable of effective attacks on a small area of the front, such as Bakhmut. Second, we assess that Russia has committed almost all available ground forces to Ukraine and cannot maintain the current level of personnel and equipment losses. Third, We maintain the public infighting between private military company or PMC Wagner Group's leader Yevgeny Prigozhin and the Ministry of Defense is fomenting unrest. There is a very small but notable chance that the ongoing provocations could spark Russian-on-Russian violence. Fourth, we maintain that the Russian Ministry of Defense is actively working to eliminate the influence of PMC Wagner Group and Yevgeny Prigozhin both on and off the battlefield. Fifth, we maintain that Russia can no longer tap its strategic reserve of caliber cruise missiles and can only launch its monthly production of 25 to 30 missiles, with fewer than 30 caliber cruise missiles used for strikes on Ukrainian targets each month in December, January, and February. Sixth, we are unsure that Russia's failed campaign targeting electrical, heating, and potable water infrastructure will continue with significant frustration expressed by Russian mill bloggers that the campaign has ended with no appreciable impact on Ukrainian morale, logistics, or war production. Seventh, we maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction. Eighth, We assess that the rhetoric being spread by the Kremlin and its proxies in the social media space, claiming that Ukraine is preparing an unprovoked and unjustified invasion of Transnistria, is untrue. And finally, we believe the Kremlin is actively attempting to topple the legitimate government of Moldova. Let's get some regional updates, starting with the Donbass region in Luhansk. The Svatova operational direction remains stable, with minimal fighting and no changes to the line of conflict. Russian forces attempted to attack Ukrainian positions in Novoselivsky and the western part of Kuzumivka. 
Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor Serhiy Haidai reported that a Russian armored assault in parts of Kuzimivka failed to advance. The Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, Joint Center for Control and Coordination, or JCCC, reported that six rockets fired by HIMARS hit Svatova. In the Kremina operational area, Russian troops tried to advance on Makivka and Nevsky from Ploshanka and were likely unsuccessful. A Russian unit claimed to have secured a, quote, strategic position near Makivka, but the video provided was impossible to geolocate and consisted of a single foxhole in an artillery-blasted forested area. Positional fighting continued near Chervonopopivka, with no change to the situation. The heaviest fighting continued to be in the forested areas around Kremina, with Governor Haidai reporting that Bezdorizhia was becoming an issue. Quick note here. Haidai specifically stated that mud was a problem for Russian troops, as Russian sources say mud is a problem for Ukrainian troops in Bakhmut. Mud does not care what side you're fighting on. Bezdorizhia is a problem for both combatants. Russian sources reported, quote, no real progress around Kremina for weeks. To the south, fighting near Dibrova continued, and the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, reported fighting in the area of Kuzmine. Russian or Ukrainian forces have continuously assaulted Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, since May 8, 2022, depending on which combatant was occupying the settlement, and today was no different. There was no change in the situation, with the Second Army Corps continuing to use tanks for indirect fire from the highlands southwest of Shiplivka. A car factory in Russian-occupied Kadyivka was hit by two rockets fired by HIMARS, causing moderate damage, according to the First Operational Security, or OPSEC, violating battle damage assessment provided by the LNR in weeks. In the early morning of March 1st local time, a video emerged of a large fire creating a significant cook-off of ammunition. As with most of the photos and videos we reference, we do link to both videos in our full situation report on Patreon. In northeast Donetsk, in the Solidar operational area, PMC Wagner continued attempts to advance on Vasyukivka without success. In the Bakhmut operational area, the situation for Ukrainian forces on the city's northern edge has deteriorated and has become critical. The T-506 highway is the last paved ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line, in Bakhmut. Although it's not under Russian fire control, the G-lock is becoming increasingly dangerous with Russian troops under two kilometers away. Okay, our assessment of Bakhmut remains unchanged. The Kremlin is committed to capturing Bakhmut regardless of the cost and will continue to expand combat strength until the city is under Russian control. The Russian MOD has not had a significant battlefield victory since Severodonetsk-Lushichansk in July 2022. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky's address to a joint session of Congress on December 21, 2022, with the presentation of a signed Ukrainian battle flag, was a thumb in the eye for the Kremlin and its supporters. PMC Wagner is invested, as the capture will help bolster their image as an effective fighting force, and there is a degree of sunk cost. 
We believe that Ukraine is using the same tactic employed in Severodonetsk, which enabled Ukraine to buy time to form fresh mechanized infantry and armored brigades while destroying Russia's combat power. The drawdown of Russian troops from Izum in late May and the diverting of ammunition and hardware to reinforce the Russian efforts around Severodonetsk contributed to the Russian army's collapse during the September 6th through 13th Kharkiv counteroffensive. Ukraine held fierce defensive efforts in Severodonetsk and Mariupol, which exceeded all estimates of when the cities would fall. Russia will take control of Bakhmut. When that will happen is impossible to determine. PMC Wagner made another weak attempt to advance on Orikhovo-Vasilivka, with Ukrainian forces holding their defensive positions. The continued attacks in this direction are likely to hold Ukrainian forces in place to prevent engaging with PMC Wagner and Russian troops advancing into Bakhmut from the north. Fighting for control of Dubovo-Vasilivka continued, with no change in the situation. Fighting continued near Berkhivka in the area of the Berkhivska Reservoir, where PMC Wagner has been able to advance following the eastern shore. The advance between Berkhivka and Yahidne continues to drive a wedge between Ukrainian forces, enabling a push towards Botanivka and the strategically important city of Khomova. Intense fighting continues in eastern Bakhmut, with Russian forces taking a bigger lead in trying to push Ukrainian troops to the west bank of the Bakhmutovka River. There was no update from any source on the situation around the meat processing plant on Zarichna Street. PMC Wagner Su-24 aircraft provided close air support, and later in the day, Ukrainian Air Force Su-25s attacked Russian positions. During his February 28th evening address, Ukrainian President Zelensky focused on the situation in Bakhmut, saying, quote, I held another meeting of the Stavka, that's the Supreme Commander-in-Chief Staff, today. We are dealing with the situation on each of the front lines in detail. The most difficult is Bakhmut and the battles that are important for the defense of the city. General Sirsky reported that from the past Stavka, which was on February 23rd, about 800 enemies were killed in this direction alone. Russia does not count people at all, sending them to constant assaults on our positions. The intensity of the fighting is only increasing. End quote. In the southern part of the city, fighting continued on the southern edge of the Mariupol Cemetery. In the Kostyantanivka operational direction, fighting continued near Ivanivske, with intense fighting between the settlement and southwest Bakhmut. According to a pro-Russian Serbian war correspondent, claims that Russian forces are less than 200 meters from the MiG-17 memorial at the intersection of the T-504 highway and Korsunskoho Street were false. Further south, along the Siversky-Donetsk-Donbass canal, the situation is more stable, with PMC Wagner still unable to establish positions west of the canal. It was the same situation near Kurdumivka, where a Russian attack toward Bilohora was repulsed. In southwest Donetsk, it remained very active in the Avdiivka operational area, although the intensity of fighting declined. The 1st Army Corps renewed attempts to advance into the western outskirts of Novobakhmutivka and continued attacks in the direction of Krasnohorivka. Russian forces continued their attempts to cross the H-20 highway and advance into Kamyanka, 
without success. South of Avdiivka, Russian attempts to advance north from Opitne and west toward Pervomaisky from Vodiana were also unsuccessful. A video was geolocated north of Opitne in the gray zone. It showed Russian forces suffering heavy losses of armored vehicles and personnel. The First Army Corps continued efforts to advance on the Ukrainian firebase at Nevelske, also experiencing zero success. In the Marinka operational area, Russian troops continued attacks on Krasnohorivka and the center of Marinka with no change in the situation. Attacks east of Pobida restarted, with the First Army Corps suffering heavy losses and retreating to their defensive positions. Russian mill blogger and combatant Fireboritz was killed near Vukhadar on February 13th. His last post was, quote, On Vukhadar today, the guys from 155th, that's the naval infantry, have advanced through the dachas. There is progress every day. It's nice. Continue tomorrow. End quote. In Russian-occupied Donetsk, the Petrovsky Bridge came under fire, causing moderate damage. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Moving on to Zaporizhia. The International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, reported the situation at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant was deteriorating. On February 25th, after the sound of artillery strikes from the west bank of the Dnipro River, the 330-kilovolt backup power line was knocked out of service. IAEA Director General Rafael Grossi said, quote, The disconnection occurred some distance away from the plant on the other side of the Dnipro River. End quote. The line was reconnected on Sunday afternoon. The IAEA staff reported up to 20, quote, detonations could be heard close to the plant on Monday afternoon. The latest group of inspectors arrived before Russian occupation leaders closed the so-called Road of Life between Vasilivka and Kamyanskyi, and the crossing has remained closed ever since. Grossi confirmed that the IAEA observers were still not allowed to rotate and were almost one month beyond their scheduled time at ZNPP. The inspectors reported that the number of Russian troops at the power plant had increased, violating nuclear safety protocols. Grossi said, quote, This is a concerning trend that shows the urgency and importance of establishing a nuclear safety and security protection zone at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. End quote stressing that he was continuing his diplomatic efforts to reach agreement and implement the zone as soon as possible. The water level of the Kohovsky Reservoir has stabilized, and the coolant for the reactors is no longer threatened. Moscow insists that ZNPP is now owned by Rosatom and will never be returned to Ukraine, while the IAEA has repeated its position that Russian control of the plant is unrecognized and the station belongs to Ukraine. In Enerhodar, Russian occupiers are restricting the supply of heat and hot water to homes, which ZNPP provides. The loss of the 330-kilovolt line for over 24 hours may have forced a decision to put reactors 5 and 6 into a cold shutdown state 
although Director General Grossi did not clarify the status of the reactors. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OCS, reported 15 Black Sea Fleet vessels on patrol with five missile carriers, including two Kilo-class submarines. The flotilla is capable of launching 32-caliber cruise missiles. The head of the Joint Coordinating Press Center of the Defense Forces of OCS, Natalia Khomenyuk, said that submarine launches are harder for air defenses to detect and that sea conditions were favorable for a new round of missile attacks. Some assessment here. The last large strike was on February 16th, with a handful of missiles launched on February 18th. Russia has increased the number of Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 drone strikes this week, which have been less than effective. Russia has likely received its supply of 25 to 30 caliber missiles, or is rotating vessels as they arrive in preparation for the next round of cruise missile strikes. Khomenyuk echoed our observation on the decreasing number of missiles over the last three months, saying, quote, The number of missiles has not been recorded in the Black Sea for a long time, and they, meaning Russia, have not launched many missiles for a long time. End quote. Multiple explosions were reported near Chornomorska in Russian-occupied Crimea, Blasts rattled windows from 0200 to 0500 local time on March 1st, with air raid sirens activated. In western and central Ukraine, in Kherson, Russian and Ukrainian forces traded artillery strikes across the Dnipro River. The city of Kherson was heavily shelled. Over 100,000 people have fled since the wide-scale shelling started with about 50,000 civilians remaining. A very graphic video showed the results of the Russian attacks, which killed two civilians. The video is not suitable for work, is not for children, and many will find it disturbing even though some parts are blurred. Near Holopristan, massive explosion sent a mushroom cloud into the sky after a Ukrainian artillery strike. In the Poltava Oblast, Four Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drones were shot down during the early morning of March 1st. There were no reports of casualties or damage. The Dnipropetrovsk administrative and military governor, Serhii Lysak, reported that Nikopol, Markhanets, Mirivka, and Chervonohriorivka were heavily shelled. Nikopol suffered the heaviest damage, with three industrial plants and a trucking company damaged in the attack. In north and northeast Ukraine, in Sumy, the Hromadas of Bilopilia, Novosloboda, Seredina Buda, Krasnopilia, Esmen, and Velika Pisarivka were hit by a total of 106 artillery shells, mortars, and grenades launched from across the Russian border. In the village of Oleksandrivka, near Velika Pisarivka, several drone-delivered IEDs were dropped on a home, causing moderate damage. In Starikove, near Shalikhin, four private homes were damaged during a mortar attack. The Bilopilia Romada was hit by 28 152mm shells. There were no casualties reported. On the Russian front, the town of Ustinka in the Bilgorod Federal District was shelled, 
and no casualties were reported. We reported yesterday that some Russians and mill bloggers were questioning whether the drones that crashed in the city of Bilgorod were Ukrainian. After additional analysis, we assessed them as likely Ukrainian-sourced. There was a wave of drone strikes across western Russia. In Novi, a video showed a significant explosion over a kilometer from where the video was recorded, with the sound of a jet-powered aircraft flying overhead simultaneously. The concussion from the blast set off area car alarms. The drone hit about 70 kilometers from Sochi, where Russian President Vladimir Putin maintains an estate. In Temryuk, near Krasnodar, a large fire burned out of control in what local officials claimed was arson-related. In Tuapsa, an Israeli-made Aerostar drone struck an oil refinery, destroying an outbuilding and sparking a large fire. Nearby oil storage tanks were undamaged. We received pictures while writing yesterday's situation report, but needed additional confirmation before sharing. In Kolomna, about 100 kilometers outside of Moscow, a Ukrainian UJ-22 reconnaissance drone crashed near a natural gas compressor station. The Russian FSB claims the drone contained one kilogram of C4 and a shaped charge around several fragmentation grenades. The Pulkovo Airport in St. Petersburg, Russia, was placed on a ground hold due to a, quote, unidentified flying object. Russian officials later said the airport closure was related to a planned air defense drill. At the time of recording, flight delays in and out of St. Petersburg were over three hours long. Mikhailo Podolyak, advisor to the head of the office of the president of Ukraine, denied Ukrainian involvement, saying, quote, Ukraine doesn't strike on Russian Federation's territory. Ukraine is waging a defensive war to deoccupy all its territories. End quote. Podolyak claimed panic and disintegration were building within Russia, leading to, quote, internal attacks on infrastructure facilities by unidentified flying objects. End quote. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. The Ministry of Defense of Transnistria announced that a three-month military training camp would start on March 1st, and men under 55 would be sent a summons. Transnistria's population is around 400,000, with 140,000 pensioners, many from Russia who moved to the self-declared enclave for the lower cost of living. Quick sidebar. Transnistria is kind of like the Florida panhandle of Russia. Russian President Putin signed the State Duma measure into law that suspends participation in the START Treaty. Adding evidence that a drone attack damaged a Russian A-50U aircraft at the Belarusian Machulishchi military airfield over the weekend, two airplanes from the Russian Ivanovo-Severny airfield where the Air Technical Base and the 308th Aircraft Repair Plant are stationed, flew to Belarus. On February 27th, an IL-76 departed from the 610th Center for Combat Use and Retraining of Flight Personnel, and on February 28th, an AN-26 arrived at Machulishchi. Ivanovo Severny is where A-50 AWACS aircraft are stored, upgraded, and repaired. The Serbian government confirmed they provided 3,500 grad rockets to Ukraine 
causing outrage among Russian mill bloggers who called the transfer a, quote, betrayal and accused the European Union of pressuring Belgrade to transfer the munitions. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.